Hello, I'm Marcus Morquet, and you're listening to the Churchill Fellowship Interviews, a series of recordings from my 2018 adventure traveling across the USA researching makerspaces and digital technology in schools. I mean, I think it goes all the way back to 2012, so it's been a long journey, six years, and um, it started with a grant. We have a Center for Innovation. We got a, uh, I got a grant with another teacher around innovative um, teaching and learning spaces and how, what was the correlation between physical space and what was actually happening in that space. Um, and that evolved into learning about design thinking and meeting people who were doing that um, and, and realizing for me that that was the way I taught and the way I thought and that that was something that would really help my students navigate this totally new world that they're going to go out and face. So I gradually began using design thinking more and more in my own classes. Um, we created another course here called City 2.0, which is a senior year public policy course where they actually solve problems, local problems that have to do with sort of infrastructure and and city problems, I guess. And um, and then just using design thinking when I was working with other teachers, that slowly evolved projects in my own classrooms and classes with other teachers got bigger and big, bigger physically. They started to spill out into the corridor and finally into unused spaces like a gym um, where we would sort of pull everything out on a cart, work for a period, shove it all back in an unused closet, and then, you know, repeat. Um, and I started to reach out to others, figure out what was going on all around us, uh, Maker Ed, uh, Agency by Design, and really looking for sort of the research and the justification behind the thinking and learning behind maker-centered learning. Eventually, that evolved into a committee that was going to shape what our STEAM program would look like. So that was teachers across uh, all disciplines. Um, further evolved to two years ago, starting our two intro courses, so rolling it up very slowly in an unused physics lab, well, a borrowed physics lab. Um, we began with two intro courses, intro to engineering and intro to design think, uh, to think uh, design and fabrication. And then um, this year we rolled out four electives, um, gosh, robotics, design for modern production, uh, physical computing, and a design build class, as well as prototyping our third level entrepreneurship course, which we will have next year as well. And then in March of this year, we, we moved into our new space, which, which is... Which is amazing. It is amazing, <laughs> And one, one thing, it's obvious, it's so well resourced with so many pieces of equipment. How have you, I mean, how would you decide to actually choose that equipment? Is there a model you used? Well, I think, so um, looking at the Fab Lab specs, which are amazing, thinking of, of it as a flexible shell, so as a, a tool or um, becomes obsolete, you can unplug it, roll it out, and bring the next one in, and really thinking of it as a space that announces that something different is happening here. It's not a regular classroom. It doesn't look like a regular classroom. All the furniture is flexible. Kids have choices to where they work. And I think that's incredibly important. Now, Lisa, I, one thing I was impressed with, and I know you're heavily involved with adaptive design, your students have been involved with their actually developing projects to actually match with other students. Mm -hmm. How does it work? What's your process there? Um, so... It, it, again, it started as a prototype, just uh, 
having students do internships at Adaptive Design, coming back and realizing like how incredibly changed they'd been by that experience, realizing that empathy is something that you can build and scaffold in kids. Um, we actually started this year, I don't think I told you about this, with uh, one of our students here who's got cerebral palsy and uses a wheelchair. And his science teacher came to me and said, my student can't do the bio labs because the microscopes are up on um, countertops and he can't stand to see mm. in. And right now I'm hacking it together by pulling a chair over, balancing some books on it. There's a cord. It's really dangerous. He can't see because by the time he, he looks over to get it, the slide has moved. I don't know what to do. So my kids tackled that. And, and really trying to figure out like how to make them uncomfortable enough to get past you know, the fact that this young man has a disability. Um, and that was incredibly successful. One of my students designed and 3D printed a phone holder that screws onto the microscope um, so that his teacher can actually video the slide. And then what we realized is that um, it doesn't just work for this young man. It works for a student who has learning differences and needs to go back and see something again and again, a child with a visual impairment who needs something blown up big, as well as students who have physical disabilities who can't stand. So all of a sudden, this one object that the student had 3D printed had multiple possibilities for helping. And just listening to my students talk about how incredibly powerful that was, watching the relationship sort of grow and blossom between them and this student, was so powerful that I just thought I've got to do more of this and so began doing that. That's amazing and I also work with not only students at your school but also you work for st with students outside of your school and actually working on adaptive design projects. Can you talk about one of the ones you mentioned? Yes, yeah, so I have a student right now again prototyping for next year's entrepreneurship class. I met a visual therapist through Adaptive Design Association in New York City and she said this is so amazing. I want, I want, I have so many children with needs that I work with. And so we decided to try it this spring with a student who's a senior here, um, who is doing it for his senior project for a month, um, and a local woman whose young uh, son, who's 15 months old, who's tiny, has microcephaly and cortical visual impairment. So he had all these needs. And what I've learned, because my niece has cerebral palsy, is that even if something exists out there and you can, you can buy it, quite often it doesn't fit your child, right? Because all of these children have different needs. And so the idea that you can actually custom make something for a child um, that helps them and sort of um, just makes a difference in their world, I just think that's amazing. And so... Um, my student, Zach, is actually, he's made a high chair insert out of triple ply cardboard, which is the best material on the face of the planet because it's cheap and it's easy and it's light and it's incredibly um, strong. Um, so he's made a high chair insert that's custom made so that this little boy can actually support himself while he's sitting and eating. And he 3D printed a spoon cover for him with an LED implanted in it so that that's part of his visual therapy so that he can learn to track the spoon as it comes toward him and understand that his world is interacting with him and eventually learn to feed himself. And then actually a stander um, for his, uh, a platform for his toys 
um, that will also hold a flashlight that will help him focus on the object. That is such an amazing... I mean, you showed it to me, and I thought this is unbelievable stuff for schools <laughs> to be involved with. So congratulations on doing Thank that you. sort of thing. Now, I know you're heavily involved with Agency by Design and their, their training and their programs. Can you talk about that, your involvement there? Yeah, so Agency by Design, when I, I first stalked, um, I first stalked them at a conference because I heard them talking about what they were doing, and they were looking into the thinking and learning that takes place in the maker-centered classroom. And I thought, wow, this is just what I need to make my case mm. to our board of ed and to my principal and other administrators that actually making something helps students learn in a way that's very different from just swallowing content and spitting it back out. That they actually, that all of their senses are involved. It's a meaningful experience for them. It um, affects them emotionally. And, and it's just that much more powerful and it sticks as opposed to swallowing content for a test. So I stalked them at a conference. Uh, I continued to stalk them um, and uh, was involved when they were first piloting the thinking routines. Um, and now teach their, co-instruct their online uh, course, Thinking and Learning in the Maker Center Classroom, which is an amazing online course, um, and continue to use their thinking routines. Um, we do, in our Intro to Engineering course, a simple take apart of an object that students bring in. We use parts, purposes, and complexities, which has students slow down and actually look closely before they do anything, and then try to figure out what all the different pieces are for, and then how they go together. What's the complexity? How do they actually work together to function? That thinking routine is so powerful, and it's something that when I found it, it was the tool that I was looking for because I had come to a, a place in my teaching career where I was like, wow, the kids are different than they were 10 years ago. They want immediate gratification. How do I get them to slow down and understand that being involved in a process of making is so rewarding emotionally and psychologically. And um, and that thinking routine sort of what is what got it all started for me. And their thinking routines are amazing. You can embed them in any curriculum, and then they become essentially a habit of mind for your students. <sighs> it's inspiring stuff. Pitch yourself five years from now. Mm -hmm. What is this school doing with its makerspace? What is it doing? What's the picture for Scarsdale High School and perhaps for the region as well too in five years? How do you see things? Well, this is my dream, yep, right? Yep, give us your dream. My dream. My dream would be that making was embedded in all courses across the curriculum, that at some point every student in every discipline got into our space to make something that constructed meaning for them that demonstrated their understanding of something difficult or or just their take on something. Um, I am really excited about this entrepreneurship course that we're teaching next year. Um, in its first run, we have almost 40 students taking it, which is super exciting. And um, they are going to be doing um, design for disability. And I would like to see an entrepreneurship hub exist at this high school so that our students, as they graduate and go to college and then graduate from college, can come back, talk about what they're doing with our students, receive support, um, be paired with mentors from the community who are older and have been through it all, so that we really have sort of a, a hub for entrepreneurship here that, that helps, that inspires our younger students, that helps our high school students, and then continues to help them as they go out into the world, and then allows them to come back and give back um, to us as a community and to others in the surrounding community. I would also love to see this space opened up to not just high school students, but 
our community members and beyond that because we are a district with incredible means and a lot of our surrounding districts do not have the means. So how amazing would it be to pair with um, some students and from surrounding districts to solve a local problem and then have it all happen in our in our space. Um, so yeah, that's my that's my dream. Oh, Lisa, love your dream. <laughs> Inspirational dream. Lisa, thank you very much for joining us today on Radio Karam and uh, look forward to following your journey on Twitter and so Absolutely. forth. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Sure. It's great. Been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Churchill Fellowship Interviews. You can find the complete series at radiocarum.org.